Good morning. Oh man, I love to hear that music, singing. Oh, well, Christmas is closer each and every day, and with Christmas we have twists and turns and surprises, is that right? Um, you know, it's exciting to see all the kids and everybody here. Excited to see my son and four kids on the second row, because I'm going to be watching you. Thanks for sitting right in the center so I can see you. Awesome. He's embarrassed. <laughs> you know, Christmas is good. You know, we, we had a surprise. Um, we were with Shelly's parents a few weeks ago uh, over Thanksgiving, and uh, they have made the decision that they are going to be moving out here. So that's exciting. Very good for her and for them. Yep. So if they're watching, you can't back out anymore. Sorry, you're in. Um, but it's good. It's good. You know, my, and my hope for you is that, you know, the adventure of the season will be positive and good. And, and even in the midst of the challenging, you will be able to see that God is right there with you. Um, let's pray together as we begin. Heavenly Father, we are asking right now that you would open our eyes and our hearts this morning, that you would help us to pay attention, that you would help us to put aside those things that would distract. Lord, that you would help us to to see deeply into your word. And as we rest in Scripture today, Lord, I pray that you would open, open up the word so that we could understand even more, even further, the depth of the love that you have for us. And what it is that this, this gift in Jesus Christ has, has actually done for us. So we offer this to you. We offer this as an offering. We offer our prayers. We offer our attention. We offer our response today. As an offering, and we pray that it is holy and pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. This is where we will be resting today, is in Luke chapter 1. And I'll say it again as you're turning. Re- remember that my prayer for this entire month is that this hour on a Sunday is restful for you. That you can find rest in the Word of God. I have a very high value of Scripture, and I have found that Scripture is restful. And so we get to spend a lot of time in Scripture today because we have a lot of text to work through. Luke chapter 1, this is where we're going to rest. Now, we're continuing our series on the gifts of God today. Now, last week we talked about how God has given us the gift of hope, regardless of where we are, regardless of our situation, regardless of where we find ourselves, we still have hope. There's hope for those of us who are barreling forward with, you know, full, our full attention. There are those of us who have hope, even if we're kind of living, you know, remember we talked about that in-between place where we aren't really of the world and we're not really with Jesus yet. We are kind of in this in-between place. But I believe that hope is this gift that continues to give. And we can share that regardless of how we feel, regardless of what we find ourselves doing or where we are. We can share this gift of hope, and it is a gift that continues to give. So today what I wanted to do is go a little deeper and think a little bit more deeply about what this gift of hope really entails. And I would say it's a gift within a gift, you might say, because hope in and of itself could just be seen as a little fantastic just a little uh, it's not realistic 
Oh, you're living in hope. And I actually saw uh, a video where a guy said, you need to stop living in hope and you need to start living in the right now. Because I think for some, hope is more of a dream than it is a reality. Hope is simply an idea, but the hope of God comes with a very realistic, a, a very present reality. And I think the story begins here in Luke chapter 1. So we're going to begin in verse 5. It says this, In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. So we'll stop here for a moment. Now what Zechariah was chosen to do was a once-in-a-lifetime experience. So in the temple itself, in that little Holy of Holies area, um, we'll probably do a series one day on all of that because, oh, that's so interesting and it's very applicable to even today. In that area, there was something called the Altar of Incense. And this is a reproduction, of course, but something that it looked like, you know, according to Scripture, there were holes in the sides where you put poles to carry it. Uh, There were horns on the altar and there was incense that was burning in the middle and it, it would have to be lit every morning and every evening, every day. This incense was important. In fact, they had a recipe for this incense. It was uh, several uh, different spices, and it was so sacred. That smell was so sacred that if anyone was caught making this on their own, they were to be expelled and worse. This scent was sacred. It was sweet. It was beautiful, they say. But this happened to do uh, happened uh, twice a day and could only be done by one person at a time. So each division of priests, uh, there were at least 24 from all these different families from Levi. They would divide this responsibility up and other temple work throughout the year. And if you were one of these priests uh, in one of these families, then you would probably make your way to the temple at least once, maybe probably once every year or, or less. There's 24, so however they divided that up, I'm not really sure. But that purpose was to serve in the temple because there was a lot of things to do. Now, not everyone was actually chosen to go into the actual temple part, the actual Holy of Holies. Only those chosen by lot. And that was a game of chance, really. They would just, that, that was divine selection to them. And in this particular moment, Zechariah was chosen. So he was older, which means he probably had never done this before. Finally, he got to the big, the big leagues, got to go in to the temple. Now Luke, who's authoring this book, he says that Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth were righteous, blameless in their faith. But what I find interesting is that even though they were good, godly people who offered prayers often, they still suffered from severe infertility, which in that day was not a good sign. 
In fact, in that day, it was probably an outward sign that this family had been forgotten by God, dismissed, ignored. But still, Zechariah served faithfully, blamelessly, chose to follow, he chose to believe, he chose to pray. And that life led him into the presence of God. Probably didn't happen as fast as he wanted or in the exact way that he wanted. But his life led him into the presence of God. And the, this temple, this area is where God is supposed to be. You know, there were stories from, from priests years and years ago about how strange and wonderful things happened inside this sacred space. Not everybody saw this place. But a lot of men had gone into this room, had done this same experience, yet they had come out without any supernatural story to tell. And perhaps if you were younger, uh, a priest, and you happened to have gotten called as you're younger, imagine you still probably would look forward to this possibility of seeing something amazing. But I think when you got to be Zachariah's age, well, after such a long life of service, disappointment, I'm sure you were probably simply ready to do your job, get back home. Zechariah carefully went in, carefully started to do his work. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So here it is. This moment that comes mostly once in a lifetime only to be interrupted by this stranger Now, we don't know what this angel looked like. Apparently, he was quite intimidating and a little scary because Zechariah was gripped with fear. And it was really an unbelievable prophecy from the angel of the Lord. Maybe it was Zechariah's age. Maybe it was the years of feeling forgotten. But his response to this angel of the Lord sounds a lot like something we logical and rational people today would say. He says, Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I'm old, and my wife is well along in years. Faced with a difficulty, something this difficult to understand. And to be honest, let's let's face it, honest, unbelievable. What would you do? I mean, wouldn't this be our same response, some of us even here right now? 
I mean, I can only imagine how long Zechariah and his wife prayed for a child, even, even past the point where it seemed logical and even believable, realistic. I mean, has Zechariah gotten to that place where he'd come to terms with the reality that God had nearly never answered his prayer? I mean, how many of us are there? We've been praying for something for so long, and we've gotten to the point where we just kind of throw them away now. We will still say them, but we don't necessarily believe God's really going to do anything about it. On the one hand, Zachariah has been praying for so long that his response is completely understandable. But on the other hand, why is this frightening figure who somehow made it into one of the most secure places on earth, why is this person telling him his prayer has been answered? That he's going to have a son. I mean, it's obviously supernatural. Zechariah, you would think he should be thrilled, he should be thankful, but no, he's skeptical, realistic, a little defeated. And when presented with an answer to prayer that seems way too good to be true, how do we respond? So what do the angels say? I don't know if there was pause here after that. When, it, when Zechariah says, how can I be sure of this? If the angel just didn't kind of sit back and, and kind of said, is this for real? Do you not see this? So this is what he says. I love this. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I have been sent to you to, uh, to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words. I wonder if he did one of these things. (laughs) Probably not. You will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. I love that. I'm Gabriel. Do you... Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. This is one of the most realistic moments in Scripture to me, this this response from Zechariah. It shows me that he had probably gotten to this point where he had started to believe and accept an absent God. He still believed in God. But he's like, ah, he's probably just doing something else. But the angel's response to him shows us God never stopped paying attention. Ever. And as I was reading this part of the story this week, one thought kept coming into my mind. Many of us, we continue to come here week after week. We serve, we worship, we pray. How often do we come here on the edge of our seats expecting to see and experience the living God? And when He does show up, how do we respond? Are we skeptical? Dismissive? Well, that's not how it's supposed to happen. Do we expect God is listening to us whenever 
Whenever we pray, do we expect it? And when he answers, what do we do if his answer looks different than what we were expecting? Because sometimes when we pray, our, we expect something very specific. Our, our expectations are very specific as we pray for something very specific. And we think we know how best that prayer should be answered. But God in his infinite wisdom, his infinite ideas and creativity, he has something much bigger in mind than even what we could even possibly imagine. And when his answer looks different from what we'd originally expected, how do we respond to that? Do we accept it? Do we doubt it? Because I wonder if my response would have been much different. I mean, one key point we need to remember here is that even though Zechariah questioned, even though he had that momentary lack of, I don't know if it's a lack of faith, maybe it was just fright, or he was startled. I don't know. Whatever that was, he missed it. Regardless of that, God still kept his promise. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. And yes, he completed his time of service, even though he was mute. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and has taken away my disgrace from among the people. I mean, how many years had Zechariah been praying for his wife, praying for a child, and God finally answered his prayer, and it wasn't in the way or the time that he had expected, but he did it. I mean, he... Realize this was way more than these two people could have ever expected. This was more than that. This answer to this gift was redemptive. You know, it gave Elizabeth dignity. I don't really know. I, I don't, I'll never know what it's like to be barren. The closest I have is that we struggled for years to have a child. I'll never know what that feels like. Elizabeth, it was, it was, she wore it. Everyone in her town, in her city, in her family knew she's barren. She's not favored. But in this moment, she was redeemed. It gave Zechariah assurance that God was listening and that his answer would soon lead people to the doors of heaven. This is more than just a child. This is a future. And not just for his family, but for the world. And they waited for the Savior of the world. Now, now, this could be the end of the story. Great. Zechariah listened, and it's, it's all good. But there's, there's still a main point here. Here, Zechariah sits for months unable to speak. And we probably think he's deaf, too, because they have to sign to him. They can't just speak to him. They have to sign. For all sakes and purposes, Zechariah's alone with his thoughts and prayers. It's like Gabriel said, I want you to go to the corner, and you think about what you've done. <laughs> you know that feeling? Uh-huh. You know, for at least nine months, he just sat alone. And all he had was his thoughts and prayers. You could maybe say it was in a self-induced prison. Alone, without a real voice to communicate, mostly unable to hear, but because of his doubt. Zachariah was suffering. He was unable to heal himself. There were certain things he could not do on his own. He was a man who was in need of redemption. But then the day came whenever the, the answer was fulfilled, whenever his son was born, the boy who would announce the
the coming of the Savior of the world. He believed that now, Zechariah did. He was sure of it. And I wonder if his prayers, they weren't as ongoing as that incense was ongoing. They ask Elizabeth, hey, what do you, what are you going to name this child? She says, name him John. They said, no, 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 you can't name him John. Nobody in your family's named John, which that was a practice. Name it after someone in your family. And they said, no, we'll just ask, we'll ask Zechariah. And they asked Zechariah, he said, give me something to, to write with. And he said, he is to be called John. Completely embracing what the angel told him. And when he said this, when he wrote this down, immediately, immediately, he could speak. His tongue was loosed. And his first words, after months and months of silence, was to sing a song of praise and blessing to God. This is what he said. I'm not going to sing it. He said, Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesied. He said, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our ancestors and who remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, just imagine lifting this little child up, the answer to a prayer. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for Him, to give His people the knowledge, yada, of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. Those are some nice first words. I would say directly dictated from God himself. Because God came to Zechariah and he redeemed him. He redeemed his wife. And the gift of redemption is powerful. The Hebrew word is ga'al. And it paints a picture of a kinsman redeemer. We see this word, this phrase from stories like Boaz and Ruth. And the idea is that nobody can redeem himself. The idea is that that at this moment when you are without hope, when you have found yourself without a future, without an advocate, then someone from your family will come and assume your debt and will ensure that you have a future, that you have a hope, and that you have a home. This is what God would do to the world, for the world, through His Son, Jesus. And for Zechariah, this is what God did for him. God did not forget Zechariah. How could He? Zechariah, sound familiar? First part of Zechariah is this word. What is that? Anyone remember? We studied it a couple weeks ago. Zachar. What does Zakar mean? To remember, ironic, right? Uh-huh. 
Zakar means to remember. Zakar, and then the last part of that is Yah, Zechariah. Yah is the first two letters of the, the name of God. Zakariah. Zakariah. The Lord has remembered. The Lord has remembered. This is Zechariah. This is Israel. This is us, even today. Because God has not forgotten us. He's been planning this moment for a very long time. He even planned for a servant to prepare to give the next gift away. That's what John was all about. He's about announcing redemption. John announced the gift, and I get to announce it as well. And you get to announce it as well, because redemption is available. A whole new beginning for anyone who wants it. A way out of the debt that we'll never be able to repay. I'm not just talking about financial. There are debts that we owe. We have run up a very big bill that we will never be able to pay without someone who can step in and pay it for us. There's a whole new beginning available, a way forward that's filled with hope and future. And I'm here to get, I get to remind you that God's remembered you. He's offering you forgiveness and redemption. Through His forgiveness, you'll find knowledge. You'll find yada. You'll find more than just head knowledge. You'll find an experience, a life, uh, the yada of salvation here. You will know it. You'll live it. You'll, you'll enjoy it and experience it. And, and, and when you do, each time you stand with the body of Christ, each time you come into this room alongside these people that some of them you like, some of them you don't, each time we come alongside one another and offer our prayers to God we will know that he has heard us that he never stopped listening I mean your prayers are a fragrant aroma to God in the very end of the Bible Revelation chapter 8 verse 3 another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne the smoke of incense together with the prayers of the saints went up before god that's what our prayers are they matter they are not just dead once you speak them. They are going up to heaven. They are becoming a fragrant aroma to God. He is listening. He's smelling. He's experiencing your prayer, praise, pain, agony, discomfort, griping. Whatever your prayers are, God experiences and smells it and hears. And what does He offer? Redemption. A new way, forgiveness, a brand new life. How can you, after all, dismiss such a sweet smell? He has heard our prayers, and the Messiah is his answer. The Messiah is going to forgive, redeem, give us freedom, freedom to speak, freedom to sing, freedom to worship and believe without fear. He's our kinsman redeemer. God's ready to redeem you no matter what you've done. If you're coming into this room barely holding it together, he's ready to redeem you. If everybody thinks you got it all together and inside you are a big hot mess, he's ready to redeem you. If you come in here for the very first time and you have no idea what we've been talking about, he's ready to give you a brand new life and redeem you. Your sins can completely, completely be forgiven. It is a gift and it's for, uh, for us if we will choose to accept it. This is the gift. 
Hope in and of itself could just be a dream, but hope with redemption and a future. Oh, that's more than I even imagined. In a moment as we sing, I want to offer you that opportunity for a brand new way forward. Shelly and I will be right down here if you want to pray with us. Even if you just want to pray for us, we would love it. But there is redemption, and it's available. And if you want to claim God's gift, it is here for the taking. Let's stand together. Let's sing. How do you describe?